Do you have a water leak and can't find where it's coming from? Are you dealing with water or mold damage in your home or business? Then call Water Cleanup of Florida at 954-579-0356 for immediate assistance. With over 60 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, and their team is prepared to handle all types of leak detection issues. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. After the leak has been located and repaired, Water Cleanup of Florida will then clean, dry, and fully restore the damaged areas. Water Cleanup of Florida is fully licensed, insured, and certified to provide the one-stop shopping that busy homeowners and business owners require. There is no need to bring in other contractors. They will handle the entire project from start to finish. Service areas include Miami, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Call Michael anytime on his personal cell phone at 954-579-0356. That's 954 954- Five seven nine zero three five six, or visit their website at wcufl.com. Water cleanup of Florida. If you have the schmutz, they have the guts. Chris and the guys at Greenview Construction LLC are a firm offering professional services in design and, of course, construction. And they are proud to announce that they've completed design and 3D renderings for two spec home models located in the Jupiter and Palm Beach Gardens area, sitting on over one acre lots. Now, they've got four lots available for these model homes. The first is a British West Indies model style, totaling just over 4,500 square foot, air-conditioned space, five bedrooms, five bathrooms, and they boast 16-foot ceilings in some areas. The second, more traditional style home, 3,100 square foot, air-conditioned space, four bedrooms and four baths. They boast 14-foot ceilings in some areas. Both models will have a free-flowing layouts that connect the kitchen, the family room, living room, library, I mean library, a den, an outdoor lanai, and both models will have an option to add a detached in-law suite if you really want the in-laws to move in, and a garage totaling an additional 1,000 square foot. You can visit Chris and the team online at www.greenviewconstruction.com. You can email Chris Tyson, that's C Tyson, as in Mike Tyson, C Tyson at greenviewconstruction.com, or you can call 561-727-5013. They're also on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they're on Twitter. Just look for Greenview Construction. And if that wasn't enough, they have an appointment-only showroom at 715 Commerce Way West, Suite 14 in Jupiter, Florida. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf and Simon. Mostert, Waddle atop your screen. Tonga by Loa. Here they come with Washington. There he goes. Oway chasing. Touchdown, Craycraft. Two-yard throw. Tonga by Loa with his third touchdown pass today. And Tua going deep. Oh, he's got Hill. He's got Hill. That is six. Dolphins are back in business. Tonga by Loa, blocked by Armstead. Going, he's got him, he's got him, Tyreek Hill. And the Dolphins have come back. 60 yards. Unbelievable. Howard, Baltimore handle the Miami speed. They've not been able to on the edge. First and 10, Tonga by Loa. To the 35, they hit there by Peters. They catch by Waddle, his 10th reception. He picks up four. He's got 165 through the air. And there's Jason Sanders warming up on the sideline. 
Miami two timeouts. Second down and seven. They blitz. They bring five. Thunderbolt. Hamilton and Quain come one safety blitz, one linebacker blitz. They're coming in, leaving man-to-man -man coverage. Two is able to get this ball off as Quain comes in untouched. Tyreek Hill with an exceptional catch, getting it into Baltimore territory. Hamilton to the next field, Armstead the block. Here comes Hill at the 40. He broke the tackle that time again. Williams, he breaks another tackle, then Clark from behind, writes him down. Both goals. You'd like as much time as possible, making sure they get everybody right. Second down one. Craycraft. Edmonds. Big hole! Sprinting free! There he goes! Inside the ten! Second down goal at the seven. Geno Stone has come in to take the place of the injured Williams. Waddle in motion. Waddle in motion. Tunnel by Lohr. Blocked by Armstead. Two into the end zone. Caught for the touchdown! Caught for the touchdown! Waddle! Miami has taken the lead! And we're on, and welcome to yet another victorious edition of Three Yards for Carry. I'm afraid our Tiago Simon Clancy is here. Chris Kaufman is here. And as always, this show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Use the promo code 5FIVE and get a match bonus up to $100. That means you heard, you heard me right. You deposit $100, they give you $100. And it's not one of these ridiculous rollovers where you have to roll it over about 1,000 times to get your $100. No, you bet it through once. And they give you the $100. So essentially, they're giving you $100 for free. So take it. Promo code 5. And of course, we are brought to you by Manscaped. Use promo code 5RSN and you get 20% off your entire order. All right, let's just get into it. Uh, Simon, I don't remember a better performance by a fullback in, in the history of, of the sport. Alec Engel was just spectacular up there on Sunday. Your thoughts? You're the king of hyperbole, Alf. So, <laughs> I mean, and his obsession with his obsession with Engold and the fullback. Position I will say this: look, obviously, not... only it, it really borders only your obsession with uh, with what's his name that running back uh, that that Kalen Balaj. Balaj. Yeah, I actually like Kenyon Drake a lot more, but you guys keep saddling me with that bum, Kalen Balaj. I mean, yeah. you saddled yourself with him, mate. I mean, <laughs> you kind of did. <laughs> Yeah, but the guy that I was really, I really had the hots for was, was Kenyon Drake. That was my favorite prospect. Okay, you know, right, where, where was, was he on Sunday? Was well, Kenyon. thank God he wasn't on the field on that last play. Okay, that's true. I would have tackled him at the snap. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, look, obviously I'm joking, but Jesus Christ, our coach figured out to put a fullback in the slot and then throw a smokescreen behind him, and then have the fullback lead your $30 million lightning fast wide receiver out into the open. Our coach is good. 
<laughs> well, it wasn't. It. it wasn't. That was the the. It wasn't a screen, right? It was the. Um, wasn't that the? Are you talking about the play that the stick nod that Jalen Waddle had? Or they, that, they did talking? two of those, and oh, the one that I'm talking okay. about, they had him in the slot and they threw a smoke right behind him, and oh, okay. Tyreek got 15 yards on it. Oh, with I Alec, that Alec yeah, Engel yeah. leading the way. Which yeah. I, when I saw that play, I'm like, our coach is like reaching into the bag and throwing everything at these people, and they just can't handle it. I guess we'll start there. Let, let's throw because look, man, we're gonna give flowers to 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 Tua and it's too. I'm sorry. This is this is as close as you're ever gonna get to Duper and Clayton, and they might threaten those numbers from 1984 on the outside. Simon, let's talk about the coach. Let's talk about Mike McDaniel. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a breath of fresh air in coaching generally. Actually, I thought he. Um, what I was most impressed with yesterday, and you know, you can talk about individuals as I'm sure we will. What I was most impressed with was that generally in all three phases of the game, the Dolphins were were fairly. <laughs> average at best um, in the first half. You know, Danny Crossman's unit gave up his first touchdown return in 22 years of coaching. Offensively, we just couldn't stick with what was happening. You know, almost had to score on every possession that wasn't happening. A couple of big turnovers. Defensively, was just abject. You know, the cover zero wasn't working. We blitzed 11 times, got zero pressures. You know, Jalen Phillips, you know, bloody the season started already, you know, um, you know, kind of gone missing. Xavier Howard had one of his worst games as a pro. I didn't think Javon Holland played very well. Uh, Brandon Jones fell back to earth after last year. And then... Uh, after no, last I hate week, to interrupt so. you, but I hate to interrupt you. This was easily Javon Holland's worst game as a pro. Easily. Yeah, I didn't think he played very well. But uh, at halftime, they just went in and they just made some amazing adjustments. And I think what they did really interestingly on offense was that it felt like they were just getting away from a lot of the stuff that was just so typically what they thought would work with Tua. And it just was like, Daniel it almost felt like he was saying at halftime, you know what, we just need to find the plays that we absolutely love with him. The things that we can, you know, the, the drive starters, the chain movers, where he can use his eyes and his quick, you know, quick twitch to to manipulate defenses, get the ball moving, get, you know, move the chains, whether that's screens, whether that's tunnel screens. Uh, and it just seemed to work and everything he touched Everything he touched at halftime seemed to turn to gold in the second half. I, I think there was probably something else involved. Perhaps someone in a WhatsApp group putting a message out that I think perhaps had a, a major effect on the outcome of the second half, which I'm sure we'll get to. But generally, I just thought the coaching job he did was outstanding. He's just so easy to love. He's just such a, you know, he's such a good human. He seems fun and you just really want to play for him. You know, the the modern coach, I don't think has to be a screamer and a shouter and, uh, you know, all those things. I think, you know, in the current climate, in terms of, you know, the way that these young guys are, 20, 25 year old players, social media, all those things, it's different to, you know, even the three of us are of a kind of similar age. I know Alpha's probably 20 years older than me and Chris, but, um, you know, <laughs> things are different in terms of how you deal with players. Um, and I just think he gets it. And I mean, I'm old enough to remember when people said he was too skinny and small to be a head coach. So, um, <laughs> but the caveat to that is, look, it's two games. We don't win any Super Bowls on the 18th of, of September. There's a long way to go. But I like, and I spoke to somebody in the front office this afternoon. Um, and actually, McDaniel sort of highlighted the same kind of point in um, in the press conference this afternoon, which was that it's just yesterday was just one cog 
out of 17 cogs to get to the playoffs. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. And we'll talk about it. And I'm, you know, I know everybody thinks I'm fucking dour and those sorts of things. And I'm really not. I just try and be real about it. But yesterday was fucking amazing. It was great. But it's yeah, just it was, one cog, right? Yeah, any, anytime you hear the word historic attached to something, it's for, you know, it means something. And when but you like, have NFL record does. and NFL history attached to it, it does, right? But now we have to, it can't be fool's gold. Right, it has to mean something, and that means next weekend, and that that goes across the board, right? Because in a way, two has now set himself up to fail. I, I know that sounds dramatic, but like if he doesn't perform really well against Buffalo, people will just be like, "Oh, well, last week was just a fluke, just a fluke." This is who he always was. Next weekend, you have the opportunity. You're at home. You're against the arguably the best team in the league, the Super Bowl favorite. You have got the absolute mutant Josh Allen coming in. It's like you know, okay. What can we do? I actually quite fancied the Dolphins next weekend, bizarrely. Um, but, you know, this is, I mean, yeah, we've played a playoff game in, in the past decade, but I can't think of many bigger games than this next weekend uh, as a statement in terms of just where this franchise is. And that's what McDaniel said in the press conference earlier on. He was like, you know, to be a good team, we've got to beat these really good teams. And, and you know, you want to, he said for us as the Dolphins, we need to find out exactly where our level is now. What is our level? Can we not be intimidated by these big teams? Can we go blow for blow with a Josh Allen? And that'll be really interesting. But, you know, yesterday was fucking sensational. It was one of the best you know, <laughs> days as a Dolphins fan I think we'll all ever have. Um, you know, and that game-winning rush down, as I as I so cogently um, <laughs> noted in the only Finns chat, as Chris and I were going wild, was, you know, it was fucking a great moment. You don't get many of those. And that's why sport's so, so much fun. It's so, it's so exciting. But... I think the head coach is just phenomenal. He's just, I'm so glad he's ours. Yeah, it was one of the greatest games in, in Dolphin history, period. And if you use the criteria that I put, that I used on, on the 3 PC Twitter account, which means, okay, it, it, it can't be for history's sake. For example, the 1985 Bears versus the Dolphins in 1985, that wasn't a great game. That was just the Dolphins dominating a game from the opening kickoff the, the score was 24 to nothing at one point in that game that's not a great game so by my criteria was a close game where the dolphins win and there's you know something historic happens and it has to be marino's comeback i would say is what rivals it marino's comeback after the achilles in 1994 when he threw for like 400 and something yards and four touchdowns whatever the hell it was including a game winner on fourth and one i think that's what gets close and of course the clock game like those are the two that that come to mind, but this one is right there. Uh, I think the beating the Bears in '85 was pretty massive. There was a there was that Monday night game where Ronnie and Ricky were playing, and then Chad Henney hit Ted Ginn for the touchdown over yeah. Darrell Revis. That was that was pretty, a great game. Uh, I was there. I was there. They actually ran the ball with no timeout. Now that's balls, okay? They ran the ball with no timeouts left, with 11 seconds left. They said, yeah, yeah. "You're not going to stop us from the one yard line." So. My favorite, I think my favorite ever Dolphins game was the wild card game, 17-16 over the Chiefs at home with Marino and yes. down 17-3 and then fourth quarter Marino drove them back with the Clayton touchdown and then the big drive started to, Fer- to Ferrell Edmonds on, you know, and then down that kind of mano mano quote from Al Michaels and then Nick Lowry missed the field goal right at the end. I think it was Nick Lowry missed the field goal yes. right at the end after a five-yard holding penalty on a, a rookie left guard who went on to have a really good career, but that was an absolute killer. So, uh, that, yeah, I think and if you remember, if you remember in that game, there was one moment where Christian Okoye broke out in the opening. It's just him and Jarvis Landry. Yeah, I mean, not yeah, Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Williams. Williams. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Jarvis Williams takes him down in the open field, a 260 pound 
uh, track star. Yeah, Clayton against Albert Lewis for the touchdown. Lewis was such a good corner, and it was uh, just Marino just threw it low and outside, and that, that was a great. I listened to that on Armed Forces Radio. It was like unbelievable. I didn't want to move because I thought as the Dolphins started to come out, I needed to piss really badly. But I thought if I move, it's going to be bad luck because completely me staying in the same position as like a 16-year-old teenager laying on my bed 6,000 miles away was clearly what was motivating the team to win. But I thought if I get up to go to the toilet, they're going to be unmotivated. So I just laid still and I've never been <laughs> yeah. so happy to be like stiff as a board when, when yeah. it was all over. Amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I was very, very encouraged. I didn't get to, to ask the coach uh, too many questions this camp, but I did ask one that I ask of every single coach that I've ever, I've ever, every new coach asked this, I asked the same question, which is how much live football do you watch? Because all of them will tell you, oh, I watched the entire league on tape which is code for I watch the next opponent and the advanced opponents on tape. I don't watch too much live football. I asked this coach that question. He said he watches as much live football he could get his hands on. He says as long as he's not in the facility, he's watching live football. He says he watched every single Monday night game. He watches every single Thursday game. And then he starts rewatching the entire league the next day. As soon as I heard that, I was completely sold. Chris, uh, your flowers for Mike McDaniel. I, that's just the most um i mean i've never seen a coach get in the zone i mean the way a player does i mean uh, the 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 players you, you've seen it with players and, and yes to some extent to some extent you'd have to say that um that so, several players in the offense got in there on the second half but where you could really see it is i mean as simon said every single thing he touched turned to gold and you could really see it on the run plays <laughs> you know, I mean, take take Tua and throwing the ball to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle aside, um, the runs that he called all end up ended up looking timely and highly effective uh, against the defensive um, the defensive front, and uh, and then uh, none better than that Chase Edmonds uh, that Chase and Chase Edmonds hitter on the the final drive. Um, I think that. Uh, even the, t- the clock management. I mean, we're sitting here like, should he take a timeout? What, you know, they're, um, they're, they're running too much time off the clock. And, and, and yet it, it ended up perfect because they took all the time off the clock they needed to take to make sure that Lamar Jackson wasn't going to be able to have an answer. No, nope. you know, and Lamar was playing well, <laughs> you know? So, so, I mean, if you gave him an, if you gave him possibly even just 30 seconds more, um, then you'd have had to be worried the way the defense had been playing at different times of the, you know, especially in the first half. So I've just never seen just as a play caller, just like everything he does is, is magic. And it was, um, it was, it was pretty crazy to, to watch that. And I mean, cause you've seen it with the players, but with a coach, um, that was pretty impressive. I think, you know, for all the reasons Simon talk, talks about, uh, he's definitely got the team. I mean, the team has felt his personality one way or another. You, you can express your doubts about it. And, you know, some people I, I know when he initially got here, it's like, ah, he feels like he's a little fake or something like that, or he's trying too hard or something. I'm, but I, I get those people just don't see that he's just very unapologetically himself. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think that uh, I think that you you cannot argue with the idea that the team has felt his personality mm-hmm. and taken on some of his traits, and um, and that's what a head coach is supposed one of one of the many things that a head coach is supposed to do. So um, so it's just it's just phenomenal. I'm, I look forward to to seeing the rest of it. 
You know, I, I want to see, I want to see more. I want to see how they followed up. I don't want them to get, um, to fall into the pattern of, you know, shooting themselves in the foot and then trying to bail themselves out again. Mm. You know, like that, like just because it happened this time, I don't want this. Cause you've seen that in other seasons. Like you've seen that it's like, yeah, we have the comeback. We have the comeback stuff. I think we even saw it with, uh, we saw it with Ryan Fitzpatrick at various times. You know, we have the comeback thing, but yeah, we also keep getting ourselves into a deficit. We also keep uh, shooting ourselves in the foot. We, we can't get into that. That's one thing that I want to watch out for. Another thing I want to watch out for is this is the time of the year where the defense actually did, you know, did slump. Um, they did all right in week one last year and week two, they really, you know, ever they've been drilling into these players' heads all off season is my understanding, all training camp about the slow start from a year ago, slow start. Can't get off to a slow start. Can it, you know, they, they did a lot of things um, to try and prevent that. Uh, and now here we are in week two, when things started to fall apart in the first half of the season for the defense and things fell apart for the defense. So, uh, so you, you definitely have to watch out for that. But, I mean, uh, offensively, uh, the, the Dolphins are one of the top three, top five offenses in the NFL legitimately um, and through two weeks. And it's only two weeks. I get it. But, but it's also been consistent because, as I pointed out last week, you know, that offense was sneaky, consistent, and productive uh, in the New England game. Only had eight drives or however many drives that they had. You know, they, um, they, they were scoring two and a half points. They're on kind of a two and a half point per drive pace, which is pretty good offense. And, um, and then even this week, you know, the first half, they weren't keeping up, you know, with the defenses getting boat raced like that, they're not going to keep up. And in fact, they were pressing. And so that's how you get the two, two interceptions. Um, and yet they did, they only had four drives in that first half. And they scored a touchdown on one of them. And then they came out in the second half and scored a touchdown on another one. So it was like two touchdowns on five drives. That's the same pace. You know, that's they're they're consistent, I think, that that offense is, no matter which uh, way they're trying to attack it, um, whether it be passing game, running game, or you know, something in between. Um, so I, I I really look forward to seeing seeing that as we go. Um, a little bit wary of you know whether the defense starts playing like they did first half of last year. Can't do that against the Bills, you know, because the Bills have a much better defense. Um, so, um, but but goddamn, I've just never seen a guy just just have his finger on exactly the right thing every single play. Offense uh, is so sexy as well, isn't it? I mean, the, oh, God. the, the yeah. guys run, running wide open. You just think, you know, if Tua really can just eliminate some of those mistakes, just hit on a mm-hmm. few more of those throws, and fuck, and, and they get and they stay healthy, you'd just be like, fucking hell, this thing is this thing has a chance to be absolutely unreal. Did you see the River Craycraft uh route on his touchdown? Yeah, it was sensational. The, he runs a quick out. And then runs completely across the field as a secondary route and manages yeah. to catch the touchdown. It's it's like I've never seen stuff like that before. So they have a, a secondary plan almost to to every single thing that they, they wanted to do. Obviously, right there on that play, uh Tua tries to see if if you know you have the right leverage to throw the quick out for the touchdown. And okay, you don't have that, but I know I have this on the backside if he runs across uh, of his quick out and 
it's unbelievable. The play calling and on the fuck it play, like, like, come on, that, that's just awesome. And one thing that struck me, and it was Tyreek's comments after the game. He said that he went up to Daryl Bevel. And by the way, it's revealed now that, yeah, it's a triumvirate that's running the offense, but there's one guy calling the plays, which is a, a breath of fresh air. It wasn't like our triumvirate from last year. But yeah, Daryl Bevel's involved with John Embry and Mike McDaniel. But Tyreek said, look, the next time, and he said he went right to Daryl Bevel with this, and that Daryl Bevel said, you know what, that's not a bad idea, I'll pass it on. And he gave it to Mike. He said, the next time they give us that zero look, don't throw me a smoke, because they had it in their game plan. If they give the zero look, the Ravens tend to do the same thing that we do. We play eight yards, man up, okay? Not showing any kind of leverage, and then they'll change it at the snap. So uh, our counter for it was to throw a smoke, smoke route, which is just a very short hitch, right? Tyreek went to Darrell Bevel and said, look, the next time they give us that zero look and their man up with, you know, with that eight yards, I'm just going to run past the guy and just throw it to me. I'm just, you know, just, just throw me a fly pattern. And Darrell Bevel goes, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Guess what? On that busted coverage, that's exactly what they did. They had that zero look, that man up coverage, eight yards off, off of them, and Tyreek just ran right past them. And, of course, the guy expected safety help. Like, I don't know what you saw, Simon. What did you think of that of that play? Where oh, Tyreek that, that bomb. Uh the first one or the second one. The second the second one where he just runs past the guy and, and he's expecting safety. Yeah, Jalen Armour Davis is clearly expecting help over the top. Um I don't know, know why though. No, I don't know why either. And it's you know, rookie fourth rounder. Um yeah. but I just love the way they just like the way they manipulated the coverages in terms of so if you look at the I mentioned it in the OnlyFins group, but if you look at the um maybe my favorite play of the entire day was the was the get down to about the 30 something yard line and then let the clock run. You're like, what the fuck? Why the fuck is the clock running? Run, 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 run. But they motion Craycraft from left to right and essentially stacks the field to the to the uh to the field side, to the free side of the of the defense and the and the backside it is wide open and they just hit that chase Edmonds little draw play to the right side where, where Craycraft's motion has a helped to see the field, but B more importantly has moved another defender, a free defender who would probably have been the first line of defense for chase Edmonds at the second level out of the way. So it's literally, then you're asking Connor Williams, can you get up on, on, on Calais Campbell, turn your hips uh, and, 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 and wall off. Yes, he can. Then, can he, can Rob Hunt get onto Justin Madubrike and move him out of the way, which he did? And then can Greg Little get, uh, you know, up on Adafe Owe, which he absolutely did and drove him like six or seven yards down the field and Chase Jess hit that for like 25, 30. That was just such a good play. Um, but yeah, I just, they, they clearly had breakdowns on the back end, but I think that's as much, I mean, I saw this amazing stat. They ran about six and a half thousand yards. The, the Ravens defenders, which I think was the highest rate that a defense has run, a defense has run in like 20 years or something. Yeah, that's how that's that. It was, it was, it was yes, incredible. I expected them to be tired, but also I just think it was that constant head fuck of motions. And, and Chris, I don't know what you, you thought, but I thought there were way less motion that like there was none of that sort of CFL stuff that we saw with Cedric Wilson in week one. Was there, there, were, there were, you know, we did so many more pre snap motions and immediate after snap motions in terms of um, misdirection and, and different things in, for the, against the Patriots than we did in, uh, in week two. Now, maybe that was a, a, a system of being down by three touchdowns and it was literally just, you know, hit the back of your drop, 
get rid of it or quick throws or whatever. But there was none of that sort of multiple misdirection. We didn't see any of the Cedric Wilson or, or Tyreek getting a bit of a run up to get to the to the line of scrimmage, any of those things. So it just feels like McDaniel's just got so many ideas, so many plans, so many things in his back pocket. It's just, it's fucking sexy. The flip side to that is that I was really concerned about the defense. I mean, we got zero pressure. Um, you know, Ogba, Jalen Phillips, we, we weren't even able to manufacture pressure, which is the, the most concerning thing, which obviously we have done really well. And I think that manufactured pressure is probably sort of slightly hidden the fact that we're a bit inconsistent in getting consistently to the quarterback. Um, you know, so I wonder how teams will see that in terms of, um, you know, and the, then the flip side of that is that, especially when you're, you know, you're putting seven, eight, nine guys on the line of scrimmage, you're playing cover zero and then you're having to play off, which is obviously why, you know, Rashad Bateman had that, that touchdown against Xavier. Um, and the other thing, and another thing, I think it was perfectly apposite, although disgusting at the time, but perfectly apposite that Xavier dropped what would have been the game-tying pick six <laughs> to walk in touchdown, right? Right. And in a way, like none of perhaps none of this story that we had after that would have been written. Do you know what I mean? Because mm, yeah. Ravens got the ball back with seven, eight minutes to go. They might have driven down the field and scored a game winner and two might never got the ball back. But the fact that he dropped it allowed us the opportunity to try and rewrite a narrative. And I tweeted literally when we got the ball back with 2.14 to go, that, you know, this could be a narrative-changing drive for Tua Tungvalo, and it was. But you just go back to those sliding doors moments. You know, Xavier Howard, one of the great cornerbacks of the last seven, eight years, and especially with his hands on the ball. You never see oh, him. Oh, God, drop. yeah. Never yeah. see him. You know, cornerbacks notoriously have got Edward Scissorhands, but he is a, um, you know, he's receiver-like with his, with his hands, and he flat-out dropped the walk-in pick six. And you just wonder how things would have been different, maybe, you know, if, uh, I mean, if I would have had five touchdowns instead of six, but nevertheless, that was still, um, that was still a big moment, I thought. Yeah, but the defense, the defense spotted, uh, well, first of all, the special team spotted them a touchdown. So the defense, for all intents and purposes, they gave up 31 points and they forced the, the turnover on the goal line. So they probably gave up more than those 31 points. And did, did they, did they force it though? Because that was a bad snap. And I think that was, a, a, you know, Lamar Jackson just fumbled this. And even it wasn't. If even you Tyler watch the Linderbaum. play, if you watch the play, Zach Sealer does a swim move and is standing face to face, face mask to face mask with, with Lamar Jackson. He was going nowhere. I, Lamar I, Jackson I was going to be tackled I, right there. I don't know that I buy that because something because whenever there's a fumbled snap that way, there always seems like there always seems like, you know, some, something happens. It's got people, players, players attention and the play plays out a little bit different. I think if he if he doesn't fumble that snap, there's a very good chance that uh, and he was he was inches away uh, as it was uh, anyway. And, and it took a it took a review to overturn a touchdown, basically. Um, that was that was basically another touchdown drive that was bailed out by a bad snap. I mean, they were they they boat raced us in that first half. It was four it was four possessions or something like that. And they 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 tried to get they they were damn close to four touchdowns. It was like five, and then it was like five possessions. It was something like at one point it was like six possessions, and they had four real touchdowns. Another fifth one that really, I mean, they got bailed out by the uh, by the bad snap, and then plus the hundred and three yard kick return. I mean, it was a total defensive uh, and special teams meltdown. I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and and sit, say, you know, try to oh, big picture defense actually did okay. You know, they got the no, no, they were they were absolutely getting destroyed 
Okay. And in a, in a very embarrassing way, several of the players on the defense were having the worst games that we've seen them have in a long time. Um, and, and I think that, uh, I think that overall it needs to be said that the, the Baltimore Ravens spent quite a bit of time trying to come up with answers to multiple answers to, uh, to what the dolphins showed last year. And it just seemed like the dolphins walked into it, you know, um, like, like they the dolphins were, were, Okay, well, let's see. And and I'm guilty of saying this beforehand too. And so I'm like, well, first, first you got to see if the answers that they that they have are are actually going to work. You know, like you because because it didn't work last time. You know, and so so you got to see if well, you know, guess what they did, and they had great answers for the for the cover zero looks, great answers for the blitz looks that um that Miami had, and it, it just felt like um it felt like Miami. It felt like Miami might have been been better served on defense, uh, trying to decipher really what those answers were um, in a sandbox, you know, in in, in a way that wasn't going to cost them these big plays, um, and you know whether that means uh, faking a lot of the faking a lot of the blitzes or something like, and then backing out of it just to see just to see if uh, Baltimore would tip their hand as their answers a little bit. So that then they could, because once once you tip their hand as their answers, and you saw this in the second half, you saw this in the second half. Once Baltimore tipped their hand as to what they were doing against the the zero blitz, and and those looks like Miami adjusted, and they were still running the zero blitz look, or the cover zero looks, uh, and the uh, the blitzes, but they were they were having a guy uh, back out of it and bolt his way out to the sideline, exactly where, uh, where Baltimore was going to want to get that flip that ball out for a screen or, or, or one of the, you know, one of the answers that they were going to have against that look. I mean, Miami started to adjust in the second half and say, okay, this is what you're doing against, against that, uh, that attacking look. And, and so Miami did better, I guess. It's just, you wonder if they could have, they could have come up with that or they could have gotten Baltimore to tip their hands in a way that didn't cost them however many billions of points or whatever before they before they finally started to figure it out because they damn by all means they should have lost the game by all means they absolutely should have lost the game because of a, a total defensive meltdown and failure and and so i think that uh, i th- i think that going forward you know hopefully hopefully there's some you know, awareness and adjustments to, the, to that, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bail the defense out here. That was, that was abysmal. That was, that was one of the worst performances on defense for most of the game. That was one of the worst performances on defense that, 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 you know, we can remember since going back to Brian Flores, first year when the team was just, you know, the first month of the season, when it was like, there was no defense at all. Yeah, or oh man, the Pittsburgh, the tank play, <laughs> the Pittsburgh blitz. Yeah, yeah, the Pittsburgh blitz. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not bailing them out on, on that one. Yeah. All right, uh, we're gonna go to break right now. We're gonna hear, we're gonna hear some words from Liquid Death. But on the way back, when we come back from these words on Liquid Death, we will talk about the stars of this game, and of course, we're gonna have to give our flowers to. Tua and the newest version of the Marx Brothers. This show is brought to you by Liquid Death. You've seen those good-looking cans at the grocery store that look like beer called Liquid Death? It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, available in still, sparkling, and these flavors. Severed lime, mango chainsaw, 
and my favorite, Bury It Alive. Actually, I'm drinking one of those right now. The fine people at Liquid Death were, were going to send me this product, but I just jumped the gun, bought a 12-pack of Bury It Alive. I wanted to try it. It has three grams of agave ne nectar. Let me tell you, it's delicious. It's no longer a secret. This is the most underrated thirst quencher in the market. Liquid Death murders your thirst, and the infinitely recyclable cans are environmentally friendly. Liquid Death also donates 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Go get Liquid Death at your local Publix, the Fresh Market, or Whole Foods Market, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash three. That's our dedicated website. That's liquiddeath.com slash three, spelled out, T-H-R-E-E. -E. Follow Liquid Death on social media, on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter. Use the hashtag, hashtag, Murder your thirst and hashtag death to plastic liquid death. All right, and we're back. All right, Simon, you know, I want to touch a little bit on the defense before we move on to, you know, because we keep burying the, the lead here. The lead here is those two wide receivers and the quarterback. But this team overcame a kickoff return for a touchdown, two turnovers by their quarterback. And one of the best players in the NFL and one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at the height of his powers, having pretty much a career game. It's his best game statistically. If you believe in game score, it's his best game of his career. Although he's had some other more prolific games as far as yards. But, you know, the guy threw for 300 yards, had a perfect passer rating, three touchdowns, and ran for 119. So that's pretty good. They overcame all those things. And they win by four points. Uh, you know, it's not enough to say that how, you know, how, what did they do to do that? Obviously they scored a billion points and they threw for 300 yards in the second half and four touchdowns, but the defense and Chris kind of touched on this. They made some key stops in the second half. And I don't know, do you blame Jim? Uh, Cause I, I've been listening to, to, uh, you know, the Ravens, the Ravens intelligentsia and their, their beat all day. And they're blaming John Harbaugh for going it going for it at the 40-yard line in the second yeah, half. I, I was surprised they went for it. I thought Greg Roman got a little bit conservative, given mm. how uh, off the corners were playing. I mm. thought there was room to maneuver. Um, but look, when the Dolphins needed it, they came up massively on, on those fourth down stops. I thought Trey Flowers, who barely played, had a massive stop on that fourth down. Orlando Roberts was big on that fourth down. Um, you know, and... I, I do feel like they got a little bit conservative. I thought that Lamar was fantastic. I thought he missed just one or two throws. He missed that throw to Isaiah Likely, although it should have come back with a Jalen Phillips with a whole massive sort of takedown on Jalen Phillips, which they picked, bizarrely picked up the flag for. But mm. um, but yeah, I just thought I, I just thought they they looked significantly better in the second half defensively. Only gave up one touchdown, um, and it goes back to what I said at the very top of the show that they just I just thought that the uh, adjustments that were made uh, were superb. I thought Christian Wilkins had a really good game. Yes, he did. Um, but yeah, I, I thought overall you couldn't pick too many stars. And obviously the you know the very interesting bit was the Kader Kohu coming in and playing significant time in the second half over Nick Needham, who who went to the bench. Uh, and McDaniel said afterwards that, or said today, that actually that was... A, I, I thought he sort of fudged the answer a little bit where he said about, you know, sometimes scenarios come up where you just want to you know you feel like 
some matchups are better than others and we he had the look in his eye and and I you know that all sounds really cute but uh, I, I, realistically I didn't think it was the case at the time but realistically it feels like Nick Needham was benched I, I know he got beaten for the fourth uh, the fourth touchdown just before half time but uh, you know you could pick a guy on defense and you know he'd yeah, had a bad game. Yeah, I think uh, Kedarko. I think they wanted some physicality out there. I think he was their Justin Coleman for this game. Justin Coleman is, I, th- I believe, he's back in Seattle. But remember well, last year, Justin Bethel was on the field ahead of Nick Needham as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There were so we had Kohu, Bethel, uh, and X with Rowe, Jones, and uh, and Holland at times. So uh, it was very interesting to see, but um, because that's some fall for Nick Needham because I think he's a really good player. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do not think he's necessary. And, and actually, it's a really interesting one for moving on next season into, because obviously he becomes a free agent. He's a very good slot corner and it feels like he's just struggled a little bit outside on the perimeter and whether, and for a big guy as well, you expect him to be better outside, but actually he's just really good inside. Mm-hmm. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It may be they just let him walk and you think if Kohu can just develop, keep Byron Jones around, Kohu is the third corner, can play the slot and you're saving yourself whatever you're going to need to pay on Nick Needham, who, you know, let, let's make no bones about it. We paid nothing for him to get him. He was an undrafted free agent. He's been phenomenal. But, you know, that's the those are the breaks sometimes. Yeah, if if, if we believe what, what they tried to do this offseason, you know, you could see where – you could see a scenario where they might just pass on some of that money from Byron Jones onto maybe another corner and maybe do some wholesale changes on the back I, end. I like Byron Jones. I think he gets – I love him too. I think he's a great player. You know, people say, oh, he gets beat. He might get beat like once or twice, but I think he gets a really hard time. I think he is significantly better than fans. And I don't mean this to be uh, critical, but it is going to sound it. But like ball watchers think that, oh, you know, he got beat once or twice and therefore he's terrible. I mean, that's not the case. You know, he might get beaten once or twice in part because the best corner or one of the best corners in the NFL is on the other side, right? So you're always going to see more um more action than than necessarily you would otherwise but also because you look at the other sort of 40 odd plays a quarterback drops back to throw 40 45 times byron jones is in great position so many times if people talk about the one or two catches what about the other 46 plays where you know he was in great position um so i i think he um i I don't think fans really understand scheme and you know it's it's such a um, binary game for some people, and um, you know, I just think uh, I just think he's a really good player. Yeah, their their little gambit this offseason of possibly attempting to replace him with JC Jackson would have been a mistake. No, um, I don't know. I mean, look, you want to you want to get in amazing players into your team. It's, it's all about the business, right? Yeah, um, Byron is going to be thirty in. Seven days time. So a week today, Byron will be 30. JC Jackson's just 26. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's also a guy that's four years younger. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, with the best one in the world, as much as I've just pumped his tires, Byron Jones isn't a big interception guy. Whereas JC is obviously, you know, him and X have, have dominated, um, you know, in terms of getting their hands on balls over the last, well, I mean, what does he have? He has... Oh, Jason Jackson had 11 in a season, right? Or 10. Yeah. No, he had 10. He had 10. He's had 25 picks over the last four years. I mean, he's had nine, nine picks in 2020, eight picks in 2021. Um, you know, so these are guys who get their hands on the ball. And it felt to me like it was very much a um, 
it was like a mandate as much as the speed mandate was on offense. It was a mandate of let's get our hands on footballs in a in a game that is ever evolving more and more towards throwing the ball, putting the ball in the air. You know, you get the guys, the two guys that come down with ten picks each, and that's a hell of a it's a hell of a weapon to have on your defensive side of the ball. Yeah. All right. Now let's get to to the fun stuff. Uh, I go to Chris first. Chris, your frame of reference, uh, you said uh, in the break was the 90s. So you saw Irving Fryer, Mark Ingram. Uh, I don't know how much you know about the Marks brothers, but this is what they look like. This is what Mark Duper and Mark Clayton, Mark Clayton looked like. And if you substituted our 6'1", 220-pound Simone with an Italian that was 6'4", 225 pounds, uh, yeah, that's what 1984, that's what the 1984 Dolphins look like. By the way, that team was 14 and two and managed to run into the 15 and one 49ers. So, you know, it, it, well, that was as unlucky a team as you can get, but it was a spectacular offense. Well, my uh, frame of reference is more, and, and I mentioned this before, before the season started and in, in terms of our expectations, my frame of reference is more the Rams and what the Rams were doing with Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and as mm-hmm. because it was all about the speed that they were putting on the field, including Marshall Falk and the speed that he, he brought to the table. Um, and the speed that that, that the spacing that I should say that that speed creates is um, is just sometimes sometimes it's just it's mind boggling because it, of, of how incredibly different it is from a year ago. You know, a year ago, we couldn't buy space anywhere. You know, <laughs> everything, everything was everything was tight. Everything was a phone booth. Uh, every throw had to be into the tightest window. You know, every it, it was really incredible to see the difference out there. I mean, we're watching the all 22s of um, of this uh, this play or this uh, this game against Baltimore and seeing the absolute amount of space that is out there is just incredible compared to um, to a year ago. And that starts with the speed of Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill, but it doesn't really end there. Because uh, the, it's it's the speed of Raheem Moore or Raheem Mostert too, you know. It's the speed of uh, Chase Edmonds. It's the speed of Mike Gesicki as a tight end. Um, and and I think that uh, there this is this is hopefully if the Dolphins take something out of this and they're able to keep the ball rolling on offense, I think you know if, if we're talking about the Tua and the decision making you know, and the, the turnovers and stuff like that, to some extent you live and die by the sword. Um, this, some of the stuff that got him that second half was also some of the stuff that got him those, um, those interceptions in the first half. I mean, he, he still, he is a guy that likes to use his, I, I, I very have distinct memories of Tom Brady saying this, I think like over, over a decade ago, where he said something along the lines of, you know, if you're any good, if you're a good quarterback, then you, you, you pretty much know 80, 85% of the time where the ball is going to end up before the play starts, you know? And, and he said, I mean, he said that back then, that was a long time ago, but uh, that's the kind of quarterback that I think Tua is. And, um, and so he kind of has based on the look and based on the play and, and everything, he has an idea in his mind, what, what's going to end up happening with the ball. And then he's going to go through some, you know, his own brand of, um, of unique choreography in order to get it there, whether it be his eyes looking people off, whether it be his head, his shoulders, uh, a pump fake, um, shortened up feet 
uh, you know, or, or taking a wider stance. He fakes with his feet. Um, you know, he, he does, he does all kinds of things to get the guy that he wants, uh, before the play starts based on the play call and the, and the defensive look. And, um, that got him in trouble in the first half. You know, the, the first interception was, yeah, it, it was a little bit of a forced throw, but also Tyree kill should have come back for the ball. And, you know, there were a couple of things going on there, but the second interception was just atrocious. And it was, um, it was him looking one direction and then just flipping over without even locating anybody, just throwing the ball. Like just throwing the ball out there, and uh, and and he guessed wrong. He thought it looked to me like he thought that they were going to end up and that the safety was going to roll over into a single high, and instead they were in deep halves, and um, and the guy just you know came over and and easily made the uh, the interception. But I think that you saw when you really look at the tape in the second half, and you you still saw him doing things that were similar uh, in the second half. It's just you know it, it worked really well a lot i think the 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 difference this year though is just looking at the spacing that you see with uh jalen wild tyreek i mean when jalen waddle tyreek hill and uh mike gasicki have been on the field together i did this um i did this on the uh the only fans and uh, i think i um posted posted it there um they've had uh they've had those guys on the field for 37 pass plays and they've thrown the ball for 333 yards and four touchdowns on those plays okay and and the one interception was the one where Tua was disgusted with himself because he you know he he just looked a guy off and then just whipped back and threw it without even looking at the defense and he guessed wrong on the coverage and stuff but if you look at that play like Tyreek Hill was wide open on the backside on, on a curl. So I mean, the spacing that is created with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle and Mike Kosicki on the field to, together as a trio is formidable. That's why I said that like a halftime we're losing 28, seven and I wasn't confident that we we're going to win or anything. I thought we were going to lose the game, but I was like, I said it on Twitter. I said it on OnlyFans. I'm like, I'm really interested in seeing what happens in the second half because I know they're, they're going to go to 11 personnel now you know, with Mike Gesicki on the field more often. And I happen to know because I did all the breakdowns from the first week against new England, that that was really damn effective. You know, when they, when yeah. they, when they were doing that, you know, I know, I know that the, the stuff with the 21 personnel and Alec and gold and, you know, it gets, it gets people jazzed up and stuff like that, but there are 11 personnel. There are three wide receiver personnel with Mike Gesicki as the lone tight end has been very effective in the passing game. And I was wondering, okay, if they're going to do that all second half, and they're going to pass, pass, pass. I'm really, I'm really damn curious what's going to happen. And, and what ended up happening is, you know, what did happen? You know, he throws, he throws five touchdowns in the second half. And, um, and I think that, uh, I think that if they explore that more and the space that, that creates with all that speed at every single position above board speed at every single position, running back, tight end, wide receiver, um, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. And I hope they take that lesson going forward. You know, I hope they do. It's not that I hope they give up 21 personnel because that's not true. Or that's not, that's probably not a wise thing to do, but they really need to embrace some of the, I mean, running those guys up and down the field, the Baltimore secondary, uh, 6,000 yards or whatever, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. um, that's a big part of what ended up happening in the fourth quarter of that game with four touchdowns. Okay. So, so do that. I mean, and that was on 69 total plays. It wasn't like, you know, I've seen games where they have like 89 plays and this was only 69 plays and they were running these guys up and down like that. So, I mean, like um, I explore that further 
um, explore it. Like uh, something they did in the first game that they didn't do, I noticed they didn't do as much of in the second game. And this is, this was interesting is, you know, this is a staple of this offense. The, um, the, the play action boots basically were uh, to as, you know, boot, boot action, and then off to um, off to the, the sidelines. Well, the Patriots had Matt Judon on the backside of that, just up in his face every time. And you can't, you can't simulate Matt Judon being up in your face at true game speed in practices. Right. And, and so is a brand new offense for Tua. This is a state offense, so he's he's trying to get used to being the playmaker on the on the boot actions like that, and it did not work well against New England. I mean, you can count the number of plays where and and Tua just wasn't handling that well. It's still very new to him. Uh, they didn't do as much of that this time, and when they did, you know, they they sealed off a half of the field, and it didn't it didn't look necessarily that great at, at times. Still. So uh, I, I think that they went to it less. It's like Simon said, they started to go to stuff that Tua does well. And, 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 but also add in their creativity with it. And that was, that's where I get really fascinated about how they can go on further uh, and expand further on this offensively uh, with Mike McDaniel and the, the staff is, is to try and create the more space, get that speed out there. Don't play in the phone book. Don't, don't seal off half of the field as much if, you know, if that's, if that's not going to be working as well. Um, and, and if Tua is still, is still, you know, a little iffy on those boots because, you know, he's got a guy in his face and he's trying to manage that. He's got a guy, you know, behind him. He's trying to sneak the ball, the ball behind him in the shallow, or he's going to try to hit the guy on the, the more intermediate level on the over. If he's not managing that well, like, uh, like the typical Shanahan quarterbacks do um, when they get old hat at this, um, and if he's not quite there yet, then that it's no sin. It's fine. You know, you can, you can explore what the speed and the spacing can do for him anyway. And he's still going to, you know, he's going to be productive. And, and I think that we saw it and we've always known that he can be good in the fourth quarter. You know, I've, I've been posting or tweeting, tweeting about that, posting about that and his unusual fourth quarter proficiency, um, for a long time. And we saw it. So I going forward, goddamn. You know, <laughs> use that spacing, use that speed, get that spacing, because it was incredible to look at the all 2022 and see that much space and that much uh, the guys that open. Um, and, you know, I want to see more of it. I want to see more of it. I don't want to go back to the phone booth. So I just thought one of my favorite plays and, and I'll ask you this, Simon, one of my favorite plays of that game was. They come out in 21 personnel in their own on their own goal line. Okay. The shadow of their own goal line. They invert the formation and they go empty and they put the fullback out on the perimeter. They put a tight end on the other side. They have Waddle and Tyreek Hill basically both in the slot on either side of the formation. And we spoke about this on OnlyFans uh, when we were talking about, you know, doing our our film study of what the Ravens like to play. They have to play a lot of quarters and a lot of match zone. And we talked about this. If they tried to play match zone against this Dolphin team, they were going to get smoked. Now, we had no idea that getting smoked was going to be this, okay? You know, 300 yards in the second half and five touchdowns or 200 yards in the fourth quarter and four touchdown passes. But that play, sure enough, they get, they get the look that they wanted. They get match zone. It's basically a linebacker with Jalen Waddle and a safety with Tyreek Hill for the first 10 yards of the route. So what do they do? 
They sit Waddle right in behind him. Tua looks off the safety, delivers the pass over the middle, and now there's space in front of Waddle, and he takes it a total of 60 yards from the goal line. That was my favorite play of the day. And I don't know what you saw in that play, Simon, but I'll you can elaborate on that if you want, but I'll give you these two numbers, okay? In 1984, Mark Clayton, 73 receptions, 1,389 yards, 18 touchdowns. Duper, 71 receptions, 1,306 yards, eight touchdowns. Combined, that's 26 touchdowns. That's 2,695 yards. So basically 2,700 yards. Do they got a shot at it, Simon? Uh, do they have a shot at it? Yeah, of course they have a shot at it. Yeah, of course they have a shot at it. Um, you know, they, they lead the NFL, the pair of them in, in receiving yards. So, of course, they have a shot. Um, and 17 game season, too. Yeah, know. 17 game season, exactly. Um, so, yeah, they have a massive shot at it. But it's like I said at the very top, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves too much. Let's not put ourselves in, you know, have people, we had people in the OnlyFins chat today talking about, oh, you know, this is the Super Bowl run. It's like, lads, it's week two. A lot can change. So, um, I, I don't have anything. So the play, it, was, it was an amazing route. Uh, Waller was running an amazing route, and I mean, he just absolutely sent Patrick Queen to sleep. Um, but yeah, of course they can make it. Of course they can. They're Arizona's, on pace for uh, they're on pace for double that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Arizona's <laughs> beautiful in February, by the way. Good golf. You know, I would I would I would suggest get your get your hotel and your flights early because it become very very expensive as the Super Bowl draws closer. So, just a tip. Uh, we got to talk about the quarterback. It's talk like that that just like you know, <laughs> yeah, gets you puckers you right up, doesn't it? Genuinely let them beat the it. let them beat the fucking Bills on Sunday, so you can see what I'm going to be talking about the following day. I mean, let right? them get into the play. But even if they win next week, like it, it means- oh no, they, if they win the next week, I don't give a fuck who they play the rest of the year. They're going to the playoffs. Like, there's no way you could win those first three games and not well, make the playoffs. I mean, of course there is. Lots well, of you need you need a cataclysmic. But the, these things happen. This is the NFL. People get hurt. People stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Tua gets hurt. Tyreek gets hurt. Tyreek and Ward will get hurt, and Tua's out, and we go with Bridgewater and River Craycraft and Freddie Swain and you know, <laughs> and Omi. But it's true. This happens yeah. all the time. You know, Trey Lance broke his ankle yesterday. It's like you know, all, all of these things happen, mate. It's like it's like people go, "We're on the Super Bowl run." It's like lads, it's week three. There's so like Armstead could get hurt, like. Yeah, that's the only that's the only bad news from yesterday is that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to fuck up our draft pick now. Yeah. Oh, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm an NFC GM or coach, I am sitting there thinking, and I think deep down, and they would never admit it, but deep down, I think the 49ers front office guys are thinking we have a better chance now of like you can't you can't. And I was talking about this on another podcast earlier on. You can't like I think trade answer will be fine, but this is a guy you can't go toe to toe with Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball mano y mano with Trey Lance at the moment. 219 throws in, in, in college. You know, mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence threw mm-hmm. 1,300 throws in college at, at Clemson. You know, Josh Allen had 1,300 throws. Patrick Mahomes had 1,600 throws. You know, Trey Lance had 219 throws in four years at a mid-major in a run-first offense. But, you know, I, I think Jimmy gives the 49ers a better chance to to win the Super Bowl in a – or to get to the Super Bowl in a – not an overwhelmingly good conference. Do you know what I mean? I think trade off would be fine. I just, at the moment, I just. Could you fantasize for a moment though? Fantasize for a moment uh, on if they had traded Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. And Trey, I mean, Lan- oh, Trey Lance man. now is broken ankle, going to miss the season. 
and Who's we have that? their draft pick. Brock, Brock Purdy's the number three, isn't he? Yeah, and and <laughs> so Brock Purdy's leading the 49ers for an yeah. entire year, and we have their draft pick. Could you yeah. just fantasize for that for a moment? Sensational. And then <laughs> quarterbacks go one, two, and three, and we take Will Anderson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Think, think about think about that. It's either Will Anderson or a Hall of Or Jalen Carter, you know, the, the kid mm-hmm. out of Georgia, the unbelievable top five pick. You know, it would um depending on yeah. Armstead, you Peter Skaronsky of Northwest. I mean, there's a lot of time. I mean, they'd they'd probably sell the pick, we know that, but yeah, I mean I mean they just still. they just sell it for speed, right? I mean Yeah. Fastest, who's the fastest? I mean, we're not going to become Al Davis, but you know, <laughs> the, it, there is clearly a system within this system, if that makes sense, where speed works. You know, it just works. Yeah. By the way, Bijan, take it- you know, Bijan Robinson. You know, I mean, you could you could mix in a big, old, physical but fast three down chain mover like that to mix him in with Mostert and and Chase Edmonds, and by God, that's a hell of a proposition oh and we still got hill waddle gasicki wilson craycraft sherfield <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a pretty decent it's a pretty decent group so uh yeah let's give the quarterback a little love here i i thought he's he's improving uh he's not only is he developing in my opinion but you know i wouldn't say that this was a sentinel moment but it's as close to a sentinel moment as you can have i think those sentinel moments for a quarterback comes when they get to the playoffs and they make a play in the playoffs that wins a playoff game, or they play just spectacular lights out in the playoffs. And then it just becomes old hat after that. Uh, I'll ask you, Chris, uh, he's improving and it's noticeable. I'm going to give the credit to Mike McDaniel. I think, I think it, he not only resurrecting his, his career, I think he's, I think he's going to make Tua Tungabalo's career. I think he's in for a, a big year. Your thoughts. It's a- it's hard to say, you know, how much is improvement versus how much is is sort of the same tendencies that I talked about already that, you know, he, he's still um, I, I hate to call him a first read guy because everybody's going to take that and run with it in the negative. But I mean, he's you know, he he has he has a sort of tendency in a, a, a way that he does things. Um, and it's hard to tell, you know, how much of that just worked out. I think there was a very humbling stat that somebody brought up about how the Ravens secondary over the last year um, has led up, uh, you know, something like four or maybe even five games of 400 passing yards. And like uh, and, and every other team in the league over the same time period are tied, you know, anybody else who has done well, that. Well, it's an, it's an arbitrary only, number. Only, but, but still, like anybody else who has done that, has done it only once, you know, yeah, but like, it's an arbitrary so, number, but the, but, the stat but still, is the I mean, it, I think, hold I think on, it is on, a Chris. very, I think it is very humbling to, to, to see that it, it, to, I mean, it is, you have to keep that in mind. So how much of this was to us, you know, tendencies that we've already known about, which is good and bad, positive, negative. Um, and how much is, is something a little bit new. I, I think that the confidence level might've changed. I think that his back against the wall might have changed uh, things about the decisiveness and um, and sort of, you know, keeping him from playing really tight, tight football. Um, and I think that that's, you know, hopefully hopefully that's the area of growth. Um, but, you know, the fourth quarter stuff, I mean, he was he was one of the most, you know, proficient fourth quarter passes of the last 30 years already. Um, and then we just saw and of course, he just 
blasted right through that with a ridiculous fourth quarter. But, um, you know, it's, it, that is tough to say, that is tough to say. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, um, you know, big him up too much and say, Oh, well, you know, he was, he was the same guy in this game that he always was. Cause that's not true. And we know that, but, um, but drawing the line somewhere and saying, and saying, you know, this is, this is what he would have done, or this is what he was not. And then this is what he was that, that is a little more hazy than people think. Um, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully the confidence factor as Mike McDaniel himself keeps bringing up the confidence factor itself is, um, is the thing is the thing that's, uh, that's changing going forward. All right. And to close here, I don't know, Sammy, you want to say something about, about the quarterback? Because I think, I think he deserves his time on this show. He He was phenomenal in the second half. I thought he was exactly the same guy that we've seen in the first half, if I'm honest, uh, I don't think there's any way that you can look at that and say he wasn't. You know, the two interceptions, Chris talked about how bad the second one was. I know Tyreek slipped a little bit coming out of the first one, and but you're thrown into triple coverage with Marcus Williams and Marlon Humphrey. You know, the throw was a little bit late, um, you know, but he felt like the right guy. I'm going to be completely honest with, with you listeners out there. Um, you, you know how I have uh, supported the guy, uh, but I've been consistently worried about what's happened i've loved loved him at college in college i absolutely advocated 100 percent for him to be the dolphins quarterback to the detriment of my own common sense when i look at how i <laughs> some of the ridiculous things i said about justin herbert and i'm glad that herbert's proved me wrong um but i've been worried about his inconsistency over the the, the two and a bit years and i understand the offensive line and i understand the the lack of um salient targets etc but i you know we still retain a whatsapp group that we use very occasionally just for so you know saying what time we're going to be doing this podcast and those sorts of bits and i put it in the group and i said look i'm not going to put this in the um in the only things i said but i, I feel like i'm just i'm just out on this kid I, I just can't see the improvement that we need you know we're down 28 7 I, I was just like i just i just can't see it i just don't see where it's going to change you know, this offense that we talked about it's just not going to happen. And then he turns in the second half that he did, and he was un—he was unbelievable. He was unbelievable. You know, throw after throw, you know, just taking the, And this is what I've wanted to see. Put the fucking team on his shoulders. And that's what he did. He put the team on his shoulders. Yep, the hill was four or five yards open. He's still got to get it down the field. You know, Jalen Water wasn't four or five yards open for the game winner. He was four or five inches open. You know, and he made that play, stepped up. Yeah, it was a great throw. Same with Craycraft, just the way he span out of it, you know, hit the guy. It reminded me of the touchdown that he threw, I think, against Missouri when he was at Alabama, just spinning in the backfield and then hitting a guy in the in the bottom right-hand bottom right corner of the end zone. And he was phenomenal. Um, but, but he's got to back it up now next week. I said it earlier in the show. It can't be fool's gold. It can't be this kind of, you know, oh, well, he was great for two quarters. I, I, I hope what it does is that it turns it feels like he has this internal struggle. Like Mike McDaniel said today that he, you know, he threw an interception, which I assume was the second interception. But he said he threw an interception on Sunday. He said, and he was absolutely disgusted with what he did. He thought it was a disgusting throw. Um, I hope that what he sees and that the, the reaction, I know he doesn't pay any attention to the reaction, but I just hope he thinks, you know what? I, I can fucking do this. This offense is built for him. It's so built for him for all of his little bits and, the, the things that he does so perfectly well, the accuracy, the quick throws, the all, all of those sorts of things. Um, you know, and I've been down on him when uh, he was down 
uh, and down on him when he was inconsistent and down on him when he was average. And I do worry in a league of mutants like the guy that I'm literally looking at right now, Josh Allen, in a league of mutants like Pat Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and all these guys coming up that, you know, we'd missed out again. For two quarters yesterday made me believe, made me dream, made me think it was possible. And if he can take that next step, which it felt like he'd done in that second half yesterday, then all bets could be off with this team. But it's a big if. He, he you know, he's got to do it week in, week out because that's what these mutants are doing, and that's what he's got to live with. You know, can he go on the road to Buffalo? Can he go on the road to Kansas City in the playoffs? Can he go on the road to Cincinnati? Can he go on the road to the Chargers and and take on these big guys and beat them? He did it yesterday with a former MVP. He went blow for blow, toe for toe. With, with Lamar Jackson, and Lamar was phenomenal. He had 300-plus yards passing, 119 yards rushing. He was, you know, it, it was a game of the week, AFC game of the week type performance, and Tua just outplayed him, flat out outplayed him. Um, and that's phenomenal to think that if he if he has that in his locker every week and he has the confidence to do it every week, he's given the confidence to do it every week, then, you know, look out. But it, it it's got to be a week-to-week thing. All right, on the way out here, we're going to do our three stars of the game. And it's it's too easy to say Tua and the two wide receivers, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. So I'm going to ask that we go off the board and we use three guys, not named those. So I'll go first. I thought Kristen Wilkins was great in this game. He was running up and down the field everywhere. He made one tackle 30 yards laterally on Lamar Jackson. That's a 315-pound defensive tackle running across the field about 35 yards to make a tackle on Lamar Jackson for what was at the time a six-yard gain. I thought Christian Wilkins played very, very, very well. Uh, another guy I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give some flowers to Greg Little. This guy was pressed into action. I don't think he's giving back that job. I think he's the right tackle. I think he's the right tackle. And when Austin Jackson comes back, I think Greg Little's gonna have to stumble for Austin Jackson to get a shot at being the right tackle. And I think Austin Jackson is going to be the swing tackle for the rest of the year. So that's my second star. My third star, you know, he probably doesn't deserve it, but I'm glad to see that he didn't put his head down and made a spectacular play. That play looked better than, than what it was. Mike Gusecki's touchdown. I'm going to give my third star to Mike Gusecki. Showed up 43 yards, four catches. Great catch at the back of the end zone. He went up at least 10 and a half feet to grab that one. Uh, great play. Glad to see that he hasn't put his head down and he hasn't. He's not moping. He's contributing to the team. Simon, you're three stars. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Tua. Uh, you know, Tua's performance was was phenomenal and deservedly so. I mean, just a couple of things I just wanted to point out that actually, like you talk about what what we're looking for improvement, right? Third downs. He's the best third down quarterback in the NFL at the moment. He was the forty second third rated third down passer last year. Um, He's now the number one third down passer. Obviously, that can change. It's only week two. Um, but that is, you know, that's much improved. And also, he's much improved in the intermediate area of the field. That 11 to sort of 25 yards, he's he's much, much better. I think he's the fourth rated passer in the league in that area. So, to me, that's where the that improvement comes from. Um, the tackles, you mentioned Greg Little. I thought Greg Little was great. I thought Tron Ter- Ter- Armstead's a fucking animal. He's so good. He's so good. Uh, and I just think that those two tackles, I, I don't think Austin Jackson gets his job back. And third, I just want to mention Matt Applebaum because I think the offensive line, whilst not fixed, is significantly better than it was. Um, you know, and I'm about to tweet out a play that I just absolutely loved where I just thought the offensive line was just in, in complete unison. There are still some issues, absolutely. You know, 
but there were no high snaps. Eichenberg played better, lovely, you know, great out in the in space on the, the first Waddle touchdown. Um, yeah, he whiffed on a couple of blocks. So you see the Calais Camel block for the for the the second deep touchdown to Tyreek wasn't wasn't amazing. But I thought the offensive line were excellent. So big credit to Matt, Matt Applebaum and the job that he's done because by God, it's a hell of a change from this time last year. Chris, you're three stars. You know, I, I thought about this and I can't, I can't rightly, you know, if, if I had to pick somebody on defense uh, from this game, it would probably be Zach Sealer because, you know, he's, I feel like he's the only guy that really played consistently, but I'm not sure that I really want to give it to anybody on the defensive side, because as I said before, I'm not looking, I'm not looking to make excuses for them. I mean, we've, we've had, We've had games where we all we could do is just talk trash about the offense and and every you know the the fact that they're not putting up. Well, in this game, they were not. The defense was not putting up. I I, I think on offense, I think the, the three of them are going to be on offense. And honestly, Raheem Mostert was one of them in the game to me. Um, you know, he's he's been. I I think he was more of like the RB one in the game. Um, and I think that uh, he's done a really good job uh as he as they're kind of um you know kind of uh, uh, splicing him into the offense uh and he kind of I, I thought that he was making he was making a difference in the plays that he was in there um and then the uh also uh, you know Teron Armstead and Simon already mentioned I mean just the game that he played and, and it was a lot better actually than than this first game of the year um that he played against the New England Patriots I thought that he could have done better in that um that New England Patriots game but he was I mean he was a big part of I thought um this game and this uh result and what the offense did and then um the third guy you know I, I see, I see Mike Gesicki. Um, I'm glad he, he made a huge play uh, and, and, but I think that he can also do more. Um, I think your, your boy, Alec Ingold played a, played a genuine game here. I mean, he did, he did whiff on a block and we saw it. Um, but overall they asked him to, uh, to play a lot in this game and, uh, and to make an impact. And even though I, I think 11 personnel was their most potent, they were still, I mean, they gained 185 yards through the air on, um, and 21 personnel and uh, in this game. And I, I think he was a big, he was a big part of that. And, uh, and they also succeeded well on the ground. And so the, the way that they use him, all the different places that they use him and different manners that they use him, you got to give it to him at some point. And if this game's not it, I don't know which game it would be. So, um, so I think that Engold, Mostert, and uh, Teron Armstead. I mean, if I can't name Tua and Tyreek and Jalen, because those are the three obvious. Yeah, those that, those are the three obvious stars of this game. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when the two wide receivers do something that's never happened in the history of the sport. Never happened. Oh, the, the mutants just run us for a first down on third and nine. It's just ridiculous. He's on. Well, we can hope. We can hope, can't we? That I mean, because how many times have we had the conversation, even arguments about Josh Allen in his first two years? Oh, mate, you were you you are a hundred percent right about Allen, mate, and I was a hundred percent wrong. But I think he's the ultimate ultimate NFL outlier, right? I just right. don't think a guy at fifty percent completion percentage. It'll. It, I just don't think it happens. He he's a complete outlier. I just. But don't third think... year was when he did it. Third, third year was when he. Third Absolutely. year was when he put it all together. And people now completely forget the first two years of Josh Allen. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And he's a, obviously a very different quarterback to Tua, but people completely forget 
about what happened the first years. Like, it's interesting. Like, you look around at someone like Justin Fields, right? Because Justin Fields is going through a very similar conversation to to Tua in terms of, you know, oh, well, is he good enough? Is mm. he is he good enough to do it? But then you look at the fucking weapons. The, the weapons at receiver in Buffalo and um, Chicago are unbelievably bad. Like, unbelievably mm. bad. Mm-hmm. Cole Komet was awful yesterday as a tight end. Like, the receivers, I know we like Byron Pringle, but, you know, it's it's not good. So it's just such an interesting conversation. And I think, I can't remember who said it today. It was uh, Daniel Jeremiah said it today about just how we just give up so quickly. The modern modern game just makes us give up so much on, on, um, on young quarterbacks. So it will be fascinating to see. They gave him, they gave him a Stefan Diggs and so, you know, and, and yeah. surrounded him and all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden it just clicks and it happens by the way. Ed, tickets Ed for Oliver and Gabe Davis are both injured and out tonight, both with ankle injuries. So, you know, mm. hopefully might bode well for the next yeah. week. Tickets for Buffalo, Miami going in the secondary market for double face value as of right now. So expect them to be about triple by Thursday, and then it'll probably ease toward kickoff. But it's a very, very hot ticket right now. The next time we talk to you guys will be on Thursday, and we will preview a big game, as big a week three game as you could possibly have. Dolphins, Bills, we'll talk about it on Thursday. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes on Podbean or your usual podcast provider. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.